Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Life's so full on. I've been working on this deck for ages. These steaks don't cook themselves, you know. Life's good with a Trex deck. Composite decking made from 95% recycled materials that won't rot, stain or fade. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. And a very good evening, everyone. Happy Monday evening. Welcome along to another edition of the Macca's Run. Not often the words happy and Monday are associated with each other, but they will be today. There's plenty to talk about in the world of sport. Damien Watson here with you, filling in for Sammy Hargraves, and we're here for McDonald's. The Monopoly game at Macca's is still on. Plenty of cricket transpiring today with the T20 World World Cup Cup. warm-up match between Australia and India. We'll give you live scores in just a moment. The early matches of the tournament itself in Hobart. The West Indies in action, obviously today. Island take on Zimbabwe later on tonight and the Sheffield Shield continues to transpire as well. Paul Dennett from the award-winning Australian Cricket Podcast will join us later in the program to obviously dissect all that is happening. This is an interesting tidbit though. How about this in the last hour? Neb Brockman, the 23-year-old tradie, has completed his run from Cottesloe Beach in Perth to Bondi Beach in Sydney And effectively, that's almost 4,000 kilometres across four weeks. He was averaging over 100 kilometres per day. Quite unbelievable. He's described his journey as being hit by a bus 47 times a day. And I wonder what sort of diet he was on. And unlike Forrest Gump, he is running for a particular cause as well and a reason. He's raised $1.5 million for the homelessness charity We Are Mobilised. So that's unbelievable. I don't think I could think of doing that. I'm 28 and could not even comprehend running that amount in a short period of time. So congratulations to Ned Brock. But apparently there's a massive crowd at Bondi Beach. We might catch up with Tom Deeson a little later on in the program as well. He's direct from there for the Sydney Morning Herald. He'll join us to describe the scenes there. Firstly, though, happy to hear your thoughts, particularly Bulldogs fans or even the neutral supporters out there. Firstly, on the delisting of Mitch Wallace. Do you think he was hard done by when you look back over the last couple of years? And which other AFL club do you think could acquire him and fit into their lineup? Let us know on the Harcourt open line 1300 736 for all things real estate speak to Harcourts you can text it as well via 0433 on the temper text machine consumers choice tempers mattresses pillows and adjustable bases conforms to the exact shape of your body I feel a bit of sympathy actually for Mitch Wallace given he missed the 2016 flag after suffering that broken leg that was obviously well documented at the time he's had a persistent foot injury this year as well so it's fair to say He's gone through his fair share of tribulations, family tragedy also. I hope he can find a home elsewhere. I think he certainly deserves that. And it's obviously a little bit different to the way his father Steve was farewelled when he was carried off in that game in 1996, round 22, when they just went down to the Bombers and they really put in a spirited performance for him on that Friday night. And the Bombers won, I think, via a Mark McCurry goal pretty much just before the siren with under two minutes remaining, but hopefully he can find a home elsewhere. Also, Stefan Martin has announced his retirement after 203 matches with Melbourne, Brisbane and the Western Bulldogs. I suppose you got Sam Darcy building and Tim English in there as well. They've had a ruck transition period, but he's been 
pretty serviceable in the VFL over the last 12 months in particular, Stefan Martin, and was part of that grand final side in 2021 that went down to Melbourne for the Bulldogs. I suppose my overriding memory of him was winning the 2015 Best and Fairest in Brisbane. He was a key part of their transformation as well and had to endure a lot when he was part of that difficult period with Melbourne in the late 2000s, early 2010s. If you have any favourite memories of him, feel free to call in. one 736 736 Also, North Melbourne have delisted Jed Anderson, Kane Turner, who played 118 games for the club, Atu Bosetta Valagi and Josh Walker as well. Bassetta Valagi, of course, played for the Magpies for a brief period, debuted in 2020, went over to North Melbourne as part of that Jaden Stevenson trade. And unfortunately, he hasn't been able to hold his spot. Also, in other news, Netball Australia Chair Marina Goh has stepped down from her role. Recently, there's obviously been that controversy surrounding the sponsorship of Gina Reinhart's mining company on the Aussie Diamonds jersey, with some players certainly resistant to that. The Diamonds lost, of course, to New Zealand 52-48 to in their Constellation Cup clash yesterday. In the EPL, well, I think Liverpool fans would be pretty happy this morning into the afternoon, into the evening. They inflicted a rare loss on Manchester. City 1-0 after Man City, along with Arsenal, it's fair to say, have been the benchmark. In the NFL, Buffalo defeated Kansas City in an entertaining encounter, 24-20. Of Philadelphia, they're going very well. The New York Giants and the New York Jets continuing their good form with victories, respectively. I think it's fair to say they're getting... Their most value for money, the Giants and Jets fans, in almost a decade. In the MLB, the New York Yankees defeated the Cleveland Guardians as well to tie their series at two apiece in the division series with the World Series, of course, on the horizon. So plenty happening as far as New York sport is concerned. one 736 736 to text in. Let's head to the open line now. Nathan is in Craigieburn. How are you, Nath? Yeah, good thank yourself. Yeah, not too bad, mate. Um... A lot of the rumours are saying that um, Ross Lyons being connected to the St Kilda job, but lately, last couple of days, there's rumours coming out um, saying it's Uze and Choco William coming together. So one, so it'll be like a Simon Goodwin and a Paul Ruse the way they done it. Potentially, I've heard that rumour as well because that was on the run home uh, earlier today. It was mentioned, and I think on Dwayne's World as well, that effectively that could be the way to go. We'll see if it does come to fruition. But potentially, I mean, Choco has had that sort of mentoring role in his capacity at AFL clubs recently. I know he had that stint with Werribee in the VFL. And Adam Uze, you might remember, remember Nathan was sounded out for the Adelaide role when Dom Pike left, and that didn't come to fruition, obviously. So he might get his chance here. What are your thoughts on that combination? I reckon it's a very good combination because I, I really don't want to go back to Ross Lyon. Only, only reason, not because I've got a grudge against him, but he's a very defensive coach-based, and I think Uze... Seems like a type of like a Craig McRae, as I say, someone that's like a um, someone that hasn't got a chance yet. But I reckon if he gets his chance, he's done a lot of good apprenticeship. Uh, if I'm not wrong, he's done it at Melbourne and uh, Hawthorne. Yeah, that's it. And I think it's worthy to have that sort of apprenticeship. There's no doubt about that. Given you know, we've seen in the past a lot of club legends go straight into the coaching role, whether it be via the media or without that sort of apprenticeship. I think you need a decent amount of time to really put in the flying hours and learn how to manage people because that's probably over half the job, isn't it? Learning how to manage people, learning how to divide your time as well, rather than just being, you know, someone who can really lift off tactical nous. Yeah, I think it's a good combination. I think it's a good combination. 
Yeah, I totally agree. So I hope that's the case. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, Choco, obviously, a, a reasonable mentor, a premiership coach in his own right. So we'll see if the rumours come to fruition. Nath, uh, what are your thoughts for, just before I let you go? Mitch Wallace, do you think he could get picked up by a club? Do you think he'd suit a particular club? Mitch Wallace, um, I'm a Saints fan, and I wouldn't want him out because um, ever since he broke his leg, I respect him as a player, what he was, but ever since breaking that leg, he hasn't come to what he used to be at, at his peak. Look, he probably hasn't been the same player, but at the same time, he was pretty consistent, I thought, in 2020 when he was out in the park and actually getting a fair amount of game time as well. So if he gets an opportunity, you just never know. Sometimes you do need a bit of time, and I guess the foot injury is a bit of a caveat as well, whether he's fully healed from that, which he suffered earlier this year. So it'll be interesting. Uh, Nathan, thanks very much for your call, mate. Enjoy the rest of your night. Likewise, thank you. Good on you, Nathan. Let's head to Andrew, who's in Nidri. How are you, Andrew? Okay, thank you for taking my call. Look, I think Mitch Wallace is, um, is still... I think he's still a good player. I mean, Essendon tried to get him a few years ago and he turned us down. I'm not sure if his, his broken leg's an issue, but um, yeah, it would do a medical if he was going to go to any club anyway. But um, I think Essendon should look at him for some experience and he's a very valuable um, a very valuable, valuable player, I think. Um I also like Quinton Markle as well from um, Geelong. I think he, he'll be... Um, I, I'm not sure why they did listen to him, but, um, yeah, and Chad Addison from North Melbourne. Yeah. I think that those three are very good players, the three of them. Well, Jed Anderson, of course, he had a delayed start to the season at North Melbourne because of his vaccination stance at the time, and then he came in, I think it was around mid-April via the VFL, so... Yeah, he's certainly a competent player. I suppose it's a difficult one, isn't it? Whether Bacinavalagi gets picked up again, I'm not sure. He's had a stint at a couple of clubs, as I've discussed already. Uh, do you think Wallace... I know, I, I know you mentioned his leg as being a bit of an yeah. issue. I think it's probably more his foot, given he injured that, and that's been a persistent yeah. problem for him over the last you know six months or whatever the timeline has been. Do you think he probably suits more of a mentoring role? Uh, he's still 29 years of age, oh, I yeah. think. So he's still <laughs> still got a bit of years left in him. Well, I think he's got at least three. Look, I think we, we need experience in that side. We've got a very young side. He was the future. He was a vice captain. At, was he a vice in the leadership group at Footscray for a couple of years? Yeah. He, was, he yep. was up there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's and right. I think that, yeah. Yeah, so I think I think Essen needs that. You know, we don't have much, exp- you know, like we're really lacking le- uh, on-ground leadership. Um, depending if he holds up, there is a position there for him. Um, you know, uh, but depending on what a uh, new coach thinks, you know, if, if he's worth a, a shot, I think he is. But it wouldn't, it wouldn't cost much either. And he's got, he wouldn't want to leave Victoria. Obviously, he's got a young family. Mm. Uh, but... It'd be his mindset too, I think, would be an issue. Um, you know, he's been with Putscray all his life and he's been a Putscray supporter all his life. How hard would it be for him to break those chains and, and, and fully commit to another club? Well, I think he's, he said on the record, actually, and we'll play some of his audio a little bit later on, that he's prepared to move into State, Mitch Wallace. So I think he's happy to canvas any sort of opportunity. And I think when you are delisted by a club, you feel certainly that need and, and that want to play elsewhere 
probably anywhere. I think sometimes when you come off an injury, your options are probably limited. So I think he's canvassing any option at the moment. I, I agree, he will have that sentimental attachment. He's always going to have that sentimental attachment with the Western Bulldogs via family links, obviously. And he spoke about that earlier today as well on SEN. So that's never going to go away, that, that desire. It never does. But at the same time, you want to canvas any opportunity you can get regardless and maybe a fresh start is what he needs given there's been constant dialogue about his selection amongst the supporters and just in the rumour mill itself for probably the best part of the last few years. Yeah, and what, what about Sydney Stack? Where, where do you think he'll end up? Will, will some other club take him? Because you know, I know he's had some issues him uh, uh, in relation to his, his off-field behaviour. But uh, it's interesting that Richmond let him go. Um, well, they ran out of patience with him. Um, he'd be an interesting person to have a look at as well. Yeah, it was an interesting one. Look, that probably was part of the reason. I suppose the club can only speak to that, can't they? But, yeah, that, that probably is always going to be on the minds of any other club that are willing to pick him up. Having said that, he's still relatively young. He's got a lot of maturing to do, maybe with the right sort of mentoring and the right sort of environment, not suggesting that wasn't there at Richmond. He could be picked up by another club because we know he can be electrifying. I suppose if you're going to have any sort of from a footballing perspective on the field, if there's one issue, it might be consistency to the point where he can produce that sort of electrifying play for four quarters throughout an entirety of the actual game itself rather than being a little bit spontaneous in the sense that he might bob up for a 10-minute period of time. And that's maybe an issue and something that has to be rectified for a number of players. But I think he can fit in if he has the right environment around him. He was pretty good. I watched him a fair bit at VFL level this year, and he was certainly pretty good in parts against some quality opposition at that level. So we'll see what happens, I suppose. I think he is capable if he has the right attitude and the right mentoring around him, Andy. Yeah, well, there's a lot of... There's a, well, how many players are being delisted? There must be a huge amount this year. Yeah, there's a fair like amount, but that's that's normal now no. with the list sizes cut. I think you've got to turn over mm. a list, unfortunately. That's just part of the very, very cutthroat business of AFL football. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay, well, thank you for uh, taking my call. I'll hope Sam Skinner, uh, retiring boy, gets a, another gig somewhere as well from Port Adelaide. I think... Um, He's had some, you know, he hasn't really been able to cement himself um, in a side either. Um, and I think he's still young enough. He's probably about 28, I think, now, 20, something like that. So he probably could um, find himself a new home too. He's a big defender, isn't he, Sam Skinner? Yeah, it's exactly um, right. Yeah, well, there's always, and you're going to get that, whether it be via the draft or whether a club picks them up. I suppose it depends on how much availability they have in their list. That's ultimately going to be the question. There's the cap as well, the soft cap, and that's had an effect. So it's just a matter of list management, as they say, Andrew. But appreciate your call, mate. Okay, thank you. Bye. No worries at all. Andrew from Didri there. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Feel free to ring in at any stage. Also, you can text in 0433-981116 on the Macca's run. We do this, of course, with thanks to 40 Wigs. Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Wigs, serious about sleep. Off the SMS, Adam says, I think Wallace would get a spot potentially at North Melbourne, the Gold Coast or GWS. Anonymous here, do you think any of the four D listings from Tigerland could get another look in somewhere else, in particular Sydney Stack? Maybe Riley Collier-Dawkins as well in the midfield, if there's a specific role. I wouldn't say he's your absolute 
quintessential inside midfielder. He's probably more of an outside midfielder, but he's a good deliverer of the ball. So I think that's probably his main asset, particularly inside the Ford 50. He's, I guess, primarily played in the VFL over the last year. Anonymous here, Mitch Wallace is shot physically, literally the slowest player in the competition. He can't put pressure on as he can't get to the contest, says Anonymous. So plenty off the SMS machine. Thank you, Michael, from Reservoir for your text. Dean says Mitch Wallace would be better at St Kilda, Carlton or Essendon. He could play a small forward role, perfect for these type of teams. Obviously, he's got midfield experience as well. So, plenty to discuss in that sense. one 736 736 to ring in. Just in relation to the departure of Anthony Hudson as well from SEN, I'd just like to pay tribute if you indulge me to Hutto myself because he's been a great contributor to the station for a long period of time. Pretty much right from the start. I can remember growing up listening to him, I think, the first gig he had was hosting the drive show, the run home back in the day with Dermot Burden. And I'm going to say Matthew Hardy, who was a well-known author uh, back in that 2004 period. And he was certainly integral at a time where the station was going through financial difficulty back in the mid-2000s. So Hutto, a great contributor as a commentator, as a host, called alongside Matty Granlam for many years and obviously recent times with Jared Waitley. Uh, it's going to be certainly something I'll sorely miss and... Hopefully, we'll certainly hear him on the television for many years to come as well. So, congrats to Hutto for a long period of time in the commentary chair at SEN. I suppose he you can never really have a universally liked performer or commentator in the media. I don't think there's any such thing. You, you're always going to please some people but not please others. But he's probably one of the more popular callers that I can think of over the last 20 years or so. And has certainly come through the ranks as well, and there's certainly plenty to come in that sense. Uh, very enthusiastic caller, probably a bit looser in a way on radio than he has been on TV as well, which has made his radio calls all the more enjoyable, whether it be footy or cricket over the years at radio level. He's called, obviously, other sports on TV, like the swimming. He even did the softball back in the day, I remember, at the Sydney Olympics. He called Peter Edderbone's home run in the softball for Australia back at the Sydney Olympics all those years ago, over 20 years ago. So plenty to discuss. one 736 By the way, if you have any favourite Anthony Hudson moment, whether it be on SEN or elsewhere over the last 20 or so years with his commentary, feel free to ring in or text in as well. Happy to read them out off the text machine, 0433 We'll take a break. Back with more of your calls after this. I'll keep you up to date with what's happening at the cricket as well. The various cricketing games in the T20 World Cup, whether it be warm-up, the actual event itself, or the Shield also. Back with more after this. The Monopoly game at Maccas is in full swing. Download the My Maccas app and play today. Welcome to the Maccas Run with Sam Hargraves. Big welcome back to the Maccas Run. Damian Watson here filling in for Sammy Hargraves. Feel free to call in at any stage. one 736 on the Harcourts open line. Your move, your Harcourts. Time to talk cricket now. There's a lot happening in the Men's T20 World Cup. The warm-up match between Australia and India is drawing towards its conclusion. Now, I know there's not a lot on the line when it comes to warm-up matches, but still worth noting at the Gabba. Australia needing 11 off the last over to prevail against India. India posted seven for 186 off their 20 overs. And in terms of their key contributors, KL Rahul with 57 off 33 deliveries, six fours and three sixes underpinning his innings. Yadav with a half century as well. Four wickets to Kay Richardson. He stood out with the ball, four for 30 in Australia in response. Currently six for 176, needing 11 off the last over. Aaron Finch 
returning to form, perhaps 79 or 54 deliveries. I know he's had his fair share of critics. He's been pretty good at the top of the order. And he and Mitch Marsh actually forged a pretty good partnership at the start, 64 runs for the opening stance. And the wickets have been shared as far as the Indian bowlers are concerned. And we'll obviously keep you up to date with what's happening in the Shield as well. Joining us on the line from the award-winning Australian Cricket Podcast is Paul Dennett. How are you, Paul? Hey, Damien. Good night. Yeah, not too bad, mate. I know you haven't really followed the warm-up match to a great degree, and I know there's probably not a lot of significance on it, but I suppose it'll be a good morale booster for the Australians if they were to get up and get the 11 runs off the last over. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, it's been good to see Aaron Finch get some runs. Um, it, it's probably a uh, good performance by India as well. I mean, there's times gone by in their first... Um, um, one of their early matches on Australian soil to play at the Gabba, they'd have got blown away. So to, for them to get such a, a impressive first um, first inning total is pretty good. So probably good signs for, for both of two of the big favourites in the tournament. How good has it been to see some of the middows in action at the moment? Scotland, they registered five for 160 off their 20 overs, so a respectable total given Scotland are considered a middow nation in cricket. And the Windies are three for 58 in response, needing 103 off 74 deliveries. Nick Puran and... Shamar Brooks at the crease at the present time. Obviously, we saw the Bibia upset Sri Lanka as well. That was something, in my view, Paul, that was missing from the 2019 One Day World Cup where they restricted the amount of nations participating. I know it was a very good tournament itself and a good climax, but that was the one thing that was missing from the One Day World Cup a few years ago. Is that one of the highlights for you coming into this T20 World Cup? And it's already shown to bear fruit. Absolutely. Um, I I think everyone was disappointed by the 2019 World Cup makeup, and it was basically that they wanted to ensure that India would get as many games as possible so that they could get the, the maximum value for the TV rights, because in the 2007 World Cup, India lost unexpectedly early on, and it was a disaster financially. But you have to grow the game, and I think T20 is the best, um, the best format for that, because it does bring the sides a little bit closer together. Uh, and a side like Namibia, um, you know, they did pretty well at the last World Cup. They made it into the, into the main stage. Uh, I gave them some hope of actually upsetting Sri Lanka and I was telling people that and then I felt like an idiot after the first 15 overs when Sri Lanka were utterly dominant and then it was a, a really stunning turnaround um, and I felt a bit bad because Cadinia Park, there was uh, a huge crowd, um, Sri Lankans in you know full party mode having a great time and then um, the second half of the game it was an abject failure for them. So good to see Namibia doing well and yeah, good to see Scotland um, uh, serving up to the West Indies a bit. Yeah, there any explanation? I know the T20 format is a fickle format at the best of times, but given Sri Lanka were obviously competitive, hosted that one-day series as well earlier this year, which we've spoken about amidst their civil war, it was obviously great to have cricket up there in Australia going up there as well amongst big crowds. How can a nation like that, a mad cricketing nation, with a good and competitive playing list, lose to a minnow like that in that sort of comprehensive fashion? Especially after they just done so brilliantly at the Asian Cup. I think you've got to give some credit to Namibia. They've got a side full of, um, uh, with some really good South African talent. Um, they have been preparing for this um, hardcore. I was reading they've spent, you know, a, a year playing on synthetic bouncy pitches to, to get ready for Australian conditions. And um, Sri Lanka basically said that they got it wrong in the last five overs. They bowled um, back of a length early on. Uh, kept the Namibians um, under wraps and then bowled slower balls and pitched it up a little bit. And then uh, Jan Freilink and JJ Smith, two names I didn't expect to be saying, um, produced one of the, I think it's the third highest um, seventh wicket stand in the history of the tournament to, to blow them away. And then 
it wasn't the easiest pitch to chase on. And that, that um, from having Namibia looking like they're going to get no sort of a total to get 164, uh, once the pitch started to do a little bit, the pressure would have, um, would have been pretty strong for the Sri Lankans. And you saw from the next match, both sides struggled to get much more than 100. It was a, it was a fairly difficult wicket, but still... There's no sugarcoating. It's a massive disappointment for Sri Lanka. I'll tell you what, just in the warm-up match at the moment, Mohamed Shami's picked up two wickets at his first over. He's been deployed to bowl the last over, his first over of the game, and he's picked up two for four in the final over. So great depth bowling. The Aussies now nine for 180, and I think a team hat-trick has been registered as well as a result. So effectively nine for 180 Australia, and off the last delivery, well, I don't think they can win from here. So the Indians look like they're going to get the chocolates. I'll keep you up to date with that. But just in relation to the T20 World Cup in general, speak about Dave Water in just a moment, but what are your predictions for the tournament? The Aussies on home soil, obviously the rating champs as well, but there still seems to be this air of doubt amongst cricketing pundits as to how the Aussies will go. What are your expectations? We've got much higher expectations than we did ahead of last World Cup. Um, everyone was writing the Aussies off and it was a huge surprise to many when they won. I, I think they do deserve to start as favourite. I think that player for player, they are probably just above England and India, in my opinion, especially in Australian conditions. It's a little bit of a worry that they've now, if they don't win this game, they've now had this game and the last game against um, England that they had kind of at their mercy and they couldn't quite ice the run chase. Um, but I think that when you look at the power hitters that we've got, of uh, Marsh, and Stoinis, and Tim David, um, plus, obviously, David Warner, um, and, you know, Aaron Finch came into a bit of form today, and, of course, Matthew Wade. That's a very, very powerful batting lineup. So Australia tend to produce when, when it matters the World Cup, so I, I think they're every chance of, uh, of winning. But, as we spoke about earlier, on, on the day, anyone can win, and it ultimately comes down to hopefully we'll make the semifinals, and then it's a kind of a toss of the coin uh, twice after that. Yes, we're speaking with Paul Dennett from the Australian Cricket Podcast. Just quickly, India have defeated Australia by six runs. Mohamed Shami with his third wicket of the over, the last over, just clean bowling in the end. His compatriot came Richardson for a duck first ball, so a fantastic performance from Shami in the last over, ensuring that India win their warm-up match by six runs over Australia up at the Gabba. In front of no one, though, but still obviously good from an optimistic point of view and morale throughout the Indian camp. In relation to Dave Water, there's been a lot of conjecture as to whether he can return to a captaincy role in the shorter format of the game and whether the ban on him taking a leadership role can be lifted by Cricket Australia. What are your thoughts? Because it seems like time is healing a little bit in that respect. I think it is. Um, and I, I think it's going to be very fascinating as to what they decide because they've got two kind of courses of action. One... Um, bring him back into the fold and realise that um, potentially a lifetime ban, in addition to the, the, the one-year ban that he had from playing, that a lifetime captaincy ban might have been over the top and that he is a dynamic captain. There's probably a little bit of self-interest in terms of if they want him to continue to play in the big bash in future years, do they kind of um, throw him a carrot in this way? Um, on the flip side, uh, you bring up all that extra debate. There'll be plenty of people um, who just won't have it. They'll be saying, no, he should never be in a captaincy position after what he did. Plus, he's not that young. The, the, the kind of conservative, um, safe option would be to say, well, Alex Carey's the vice-captain. He's a good player. Um, he can seamlessly t- uh, take over as the white ball captain and can do so for many years to come, whereas Warner might be more of a, um, a short-term appointment. I tend to think... Um, 
as, as much as I deplored the actions in, in South Africa, I tend to think I'd give him a go. I, I think it would be, um, you know, just, just for that one year, um, the World Cup's in... Well, you could actually even, if you really wanted to, give him the captaincy of the T20 as well because the next T20 World Cup is in June of uh, 2024. So you could sort of have that time frame of him to be the captain of the white ball sides. And it would be exciting, I think, as, as a fan. And I'm... I'm, yeah, time has healed enough for me that I'm um, very disappointed in what he did, but I, I think he's, he's served his time. It's amazing, isn't it, how attitude changes amongst the general consensus because in 2018 there was talk that he would never, ever pull on the Australian Guernsey again. So it's funny how attitude shifts and time does heal. We're speaking with Paul Dennett on the line. Just in relation to the Sheffield Shield, a couple of matches in progress at the moment, you speak about that whole saga back in 2018 in Cape Town. Cam Bancroft registered a century today for Western Australia. They're currently five for 290 at stumps on day one against Victoria out at the Junction Oval. Ultimately, Bancroft has been pretty good at shield level. He's somewhat of a conservative top-order player. Still nine boundaries. It is at 100 today off 201 deliveries. Do you think he could ever make it back at that Aussie side if he continues this sort of form? Uh, certainly could. Um, you know, there's um, plenty of players have come back from uh, situations where you might not, put, not might not have thought they were going to come back. Um, I think that the thing counting against him is that his overall um, first class average is is only 37 and a half, um, and a, a strike rate in the low 40s. So he's he's kind of not regularly taking shield attacks apart. Um, that's not to say though that he's um, out of place at test level. Um, I just think that, um, that, that there's probably others that are, uh, are showing more promise. But um, you know, sort of Adam Voja, someone who'd had a, a very decent career, then towards the end a real sting in the tail, he started he up the standard and um, uh, played for Australia for a couple of years. So he's young enough that he could make, make him, you know, those slight improvements to, to technique. Um, and um, a second coming is, is not beyond the realms of possibility at all. Although I'm probably not expecting it. Well, Paul, really appreciate your time. We look forward to the T20 Men's World Cup Australian campaign in earnest after they just went down to India in the World Cup warm-up match today. All the best, mate. Thanks again. Paul Dennett there joining us on the line. Uh, just some breaking news coming through. Tom Brown from Channel 7 is reporting that Ross Lyon has met with St Kilda bosses. He's met with the St Kilda hierarchy amid links, of course, to the vacant coaching jobs that has just come through. St Kilda fans, would you like to see Ross Lyon back at the helm at St Kilda as far as the coaching job is concerned? So there have been links. It's just been reported. Breaking news. Let us know. one three hundred seven three six seven three six on the Harcourts open line. Your move, your Harcourts. You can text it as well, 0433-981116. Also off the SMS, Jesse, appreciate your text. Anonymous here saying, Ross Lyon shafted the Saints. How could you trust him and bring him back into the fold? Negative boarding coach who still thinks the game is in 2008 and very defensive. That's off the text machine. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. Let us know your reaction, particularly the St Kilda fans out there. Have you forgotten about what happened in two thousand eleven, or are you happy to have him back? Let us know via the text or the open line. This is the Mackers run. Damian Watson with you for McDonald's. The Monopoly game at Mackers is still on. Welcome to the Mackers run with Sam Hargraves. 
Yes, welcome back. We do this for Maccas, a Monopoly game at Maccas is still on. Damian Watson in the fill-in chair for Sam Hargraves tonight. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. News coming through that the St Kilda hierarchy have spoken to Ross Lyon, potentially to regain the role as St Kilda coach after, of course, he departed in extraordinary circumstances back in late 2011. Already a couple of text messages coming through and feel free to ring in or you can text it as well in regards to your reaction, particularly St Kilda fans out there. David says, Damien, if St Kilda sack a coach, it must be because the board don't like the playing style being employed. Therefore, does the board determine the playing style rather than the coach themselves? Anonymous here, it seems that William Shakespeare has been leading the Saints from day one. And George from Hoppers Crossing, good evening. Yes, bring back Ross the boss and this time bring the Premiership Cup back to Moorabbin. Go the Saints, loyal Saints fan and paid up member for 2023. So I get the sense you'll get differing responses there, whether it be off the text machine on the, or on the call line, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Let's head to Rob, who's in Gleb Waverley. How are you, Rob? Good day, how are you? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Far away. Yeah, just just wondering what your thoughts on the, the Blues this year. Obviously, really good season um, compared to prior years, um, but limited recruiting and a lot of long-term deals. What do you think 2023 holds for the Blue Baggers? I think there's certainly improvement there. If they could use the way that they exited the 2022 campaign as a motivational factor, like Essendon did when they were knocked off by Carlton in the 99 prelim final and obviously went on to win the flag the following year, I think that could be a good mental thing to learn from and the way that they exited. And look, Structurally, I think the foundations are certainly there. They've got a good defence when they're all fit, that is. Midfield is pretty competent as well with Walsh in there, provided they're all fit. Cripps, obviously, a Brownlow medalist. It would be nice from a Carlton point of view, I think, if they had more forward options and avenues to goal. But at the same time, I think there's certainly a good foundation to build off there. What are your thoughts ahead of next year, Rob? Yeah, I reckon it's, um, I'm a little bit worried, like a little bit of complacency towards the end of the year. Obviously, it was a really strong first half of the season. Um, and then to miss finals from where Carlton were was uh, quite disappointing. Yep. Um, so I, I suppose I, a few of the players indicated that they you're obviously disappointed that it wasn't the end of the world to not make finals. Um, it just makes me worry about what a pass mark this season would be. Um, taking the next step, you don't want to just be making finals with the list um, and ability of some of those players. I agree, but at the same time, knowing Michael Voss and the way he sort of spoke after the game in round 20, well, the final round effectively, I think he'd be the type that wouldn't let the group rest on their laurels necessarily. I think he'd be absolutely honing in on the fact that it was a disappointing result and not to let it happen again based off his success and just knowing his attitude. And that's probably his strength. He's not the greatest tactical coach of all time, Vossi, but I think he's the type that is a good motivator and I think he will use that as a spur for next year. But maybe I'm looking at it too optimistically, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it should, nah. should be good. We're in, we're in good hands, the Blue Boys, so fingers crossed. Good on you, Rob. Thanks very much for ringing, mate. Take care. Thanks, Anna. Bye. Good stuff. Let's head to Julian, who's in Burlbach. How are you, Julian? What are your thoughts on the Ross Lyon news that's come through? Well, I'm just thinking that Ross Lyon will um, go down as being known as the assassin. Because if you remember when he first went to St Kilda, they sacked um, Grant... What's his name? I can't remember. Grant Thomas. That bloke. He got, he got bull- Grant Thomas. He got bulleted, so Ross got the job and... Then poor old Mark Harvey doing a great job over at Frow got bulleted so we could go over there and, well, just getting a bit of a reputation, I reckon. 
<laughs> Mind you, Richmond had a similar reputation for many years, didn't they, with the amount of sacked coaches they had? Oh, look, ultimately, yeah. they're, they're different but circumstances. Up. Yeah. yeah, go on. Yeah, but Ross is lining up. It's like he's lining up in the background waiting to sack a coach for his employment, whereas usually a coach gets sacked and they sack lots of them and they go out and find a new coach. In each of these situations, it'll be, it'll be a case of they pretty much picked him and then bulleted their existing coach, and I just don't think that happens very often at all. It's happened three times with Ross. Well, they did the same thing, although it probably needed to be done at the end of 2000 when Tim Watson obviously departed at the end of that year. They'd only won about two and a half games that year and then there was a whole Malcolm Blight scenario. Maybe there was this expectation that the Messiah would come in and save everything. But ultimately, it's in most cases, it's a long-term process to try and build a club back up. I think that's what people are going to realise and maybe in this world of instant gratification we can be a little bit impatient and maybe that's the case here with Ratner. I thought it was a little bit of a hard done by situation. Just my personal point of view is probably a bit hard done by at Carlton as well, given they had a lot of injuries in 2012, the year he obviously lost his job there. So, you know, he didn't have the greatest list of all time to work with. Let's be frank. And it was the same at Carlton as well, all those years ago, a decade ago. So, I thought he was a bit hard done by whether Ross Lyon's the answer. It'll be interesting to see whether he tweaks his coaching style at all because obviously we know he's quite a defensive tactician and I'm not sure whether he will continue to maintain that, whether he can change and and probably adapt to the way the game is played because we've seen more of a fast, free-flowing, attacking style of football across the competition throughout 2022 and the game evolved. So I wonder if he tweaks his coaching style a little bit. This is if he gets the job, by the way. This isn't uh, confirmed in any way. It's just been reported for those who are just tuning in that Ross Lyon has spoken to the St Kilda hierarchy. Tom Brown reporting that uh, just a few moments ago on the Channel 7 news coverage. Just off the SMS as well, Anonymous here saying, Carlton, more avenues to goal needed. They have the leading goal-kicking duo in the league. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's probably more in the sense that when a player is out injured, they... I don't know if they necessarily have the crummers on a consistent basis to potentially ensure that they have goal-scoring avenues when one of those two twin towers up forward are out injured. And we saw that, obviously. We've seen it over the last few years with Kurnow's injuries, obviously, back in form and, and McKay as well. So we'll see what happens going forward with the Blues in that sense. We'll take a break after this. Tom Decent to join us direct from Bondi Beach. He's been there, obviously, in regards to covering, I wouldn't say he's necessarily covering, he's probably there more as a fan than anything else. Ned Brockman's achievement, the 23-year-old trader who's completed his run from Cottesloe Beach in Perth to Bondi Beach in Sydney, almost 4,000 kilometres across four weeks. Unbelievable. He's just arrived at Bondi Beach in the last couple of hours, so we'll get the news from the ground there. You're listening to the Maccas run, all thanks to Maccas. The Monopoly game at Maccas is still obviously on. Damien Watson with you. More to come after this. The Monopoly game at Maccas is in full swing. Download the My Maccas app and play today. Welcome to the Maccas Run with Sam Hargraves. Hope you're enjoying the Maccas Run on this Monday evening as you drive home. Damian Watson in the fill-in chair for Sammy Hargraves tonight. Now, I mentioned off the top that Ned Brockman, the 23-year-old tradie, completed his run from Cottesloe Beach in Perth to Bondi Beach in Sydney across basically four weeks, almost 4,000 kilometres. There's been a massive crowd at Bondi Beach to see him across the finish line. He's raised, I think, $1.5 million for the homelessness charity We Are Mobilise. A great story, almost Forrest Gump-esque. Joining us on the line is Sydney Morning Herald Sports 
reporter Tom Deason. He's not necessarily covering it. I think he's more there as a fan than anything else. How are you, Tom? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. How many people were there at Bondi to greet Ned Brockman? Uh, look, definitely upwards of 5,000, 10,000. I'm not sure. I was, uh, it was, it was uh, a lot, a lot of people there. I basically could only see him for a, a split second. There was a fair old crowd there, probably 10 deep, um, lying the streets of Bondi right down the north end, waiting for Ned to come in. Um, yeah, it was cool. Really, really cool. Lots of police there, a helicopter, plenty of drones, um, just soaking in what's a great moment, right? What was the actual reaction in the end from the crowd? Was there a loud, boisterous cheer? What happened when he eventually got to the finish line? Yeah, I mean, everyone's cars were a bit sore because everyone was trying to look over one another to sort of see how far down the south end he was when he was coming in um, at the surf club there. They were giving updates, you know, every five minutes away, how far away he was. And then, yeah, of course, you could just hear the, the, the roars in the, in the distance and got sort of, you know, noticeably louder as it came to us and we were right up the front where he was running in and... Um, yeah, he had a bit of trouble running at pace because there were so many people. He had a little cart in front of him running or driving in front of him to try and clear the crowd. But um, oh, he had a big smile on his face. He was fist pumping and you would have probably seen the footage. Some of yep. the listeners already around it. Um, it was really, really cool. So nice. So many people down there. And I think it's just um, impacted many people um, who might not even thought it would impact, right? Well, that's it, and it's probably the value of social media as well. Talk to us about the actual journey. You've followed it from go to woe and how it's built up in the sense that it's a great story. He's a 23-year-old. Obviously, you're fit, relatively fit when you're 23 in that sense, and he's obviously a fit, sprightly-looking young man. But at the same time, to complete what he has completed in the short time frame as well, that just beggars belief. Even Steve Monaghetti and people like that couldn't believe it. Yeah, I think what's really interesting about his story is that he's not a runner. As right. as, like, he never really was a, a brilliant runner at school, and even a couple of years ago, he sort of really only took it up in covid was running around the eastern suburbs in, in Bronte and sort of thought, oh, we'll just go and go and go. He obviously did the 50 marathons a day, uh, sorry, 50 marathons in 50 days after work, which sort of, you know, showed that he can really you know, sustain that those long endurance, um, you know, races. And then clearly I think, the, I think the coolest part of this story as well is that just, like, obviously he didn't break the world record, which he was trying to do. He's now the second fastest guy across Australia, but... I think the sort of toll of his injuries will come out in the next few days. Like, uh, for more reports, he was absolutely broken about 13 days in. He had to basically get hauled off the track, you know, the road mm. to go to the hospital and sort him out. I think the full scale of that's going to be a month's sort of recovery or more um, to, because it's an incredible feat what he's done. But, uh, yeah, just a great story. Will he do it again? I mean, like, he seems like the crazy enough dude to try and do something wild and run across America. I don't know. I don't know what he's got in store, but, um, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised he did it and just so pleased for him. Would you compare it, just before I let you go, would you compare it to what Cliffy Young achieved all those years ago back in the 80s? Yeah, possibly, possibly. It was interesting. I, um, I did an interview with Mac Horton the other day. And I, I mean, he's been sort of sharing some of his stuff as well, and I've just been curious as to those endurance athletes, and I said, what would be the swimming equivalent? He said, mate, it would be doing like the English Channel, you know, every single day. Uh, he's just, um, as a guy who pushes his body to the limit, so many other athletes, you know, you want to get his, all these, you know, ultra marathoners and marathoners talking about how impressive it is. Um, it's awesome. It puts it in perspective too. And it's just such a great, you know, thing that he's raised so much money for charity. He just also got people off the, off the couch. And even if it's just small steps, um, he's had a profound impact on not just Australia, but all around the world. He's, cut, you know, he's following his massive, you know, after today. And it'll get even bigger and can you see what he does next.
Well, Tom, really appreciate your time, particularly giving us a perspective from on the ground as well. I'm sure it was a great atmosphere, and it's a fantastic story at a time where, obviously, Victoria has gone through their floods and people are going through their troubles. It's a great good news story. All the best, mate. Thanks very much for joining us at short notice. No worries, and donate if you can. Cheers. Fantastic. Tom Deeson joining us for the Sydney Morning Herald. That's it for the Maccas run. I'll be back with the Sporting Capital after this. Interested to hear your thoughts on the news coming through that Ross Lyon has been in talks with the St Kilda hierarchy. That has, of course, broken in the last 15 minutes via Tom Brown of 7 News. So any St Kilda fans out there, would you be willing to have Ross the boss back? one 736 You can text in via 0433 as well. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.